content notice for today's episode. This episode will contain references to mental health struggles, self-harm and suicide. Please only listen if you feel that you're able to. Hello and welcome to Disability is Not a Bar, a podcast which is recorded by two disabled aspiring barristers. My name is Helena McGrook and I am joined by my co-host Charlotte McDonald. Um, today we are joined by a lovely new guest named Jordan Briggs. Hello. <laughs> Jordan is an aspiring barrister who is uh, a baby. Yeah. <laughs> he only started the bar course yeah. um, a week ago. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, Jordan is studying the bar course at City and he's also in Gray's Inn, which is quite nice because um, we'll have that nice little contrast because Charlotte and I are in a temple. Mm. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about why you wanted to pursue the bar. Um, you know, what the reasoning behind it was, uh, whether you had um, someone who inspired you or a situation which we were like, you know what, I want to be a barrister. Yeah. So, walk it away. No, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I mean, I think the first thing to say probably is that there's not a lot of, uh, not many lawyers in my family, uh, but in terms of barristers, uh, solicitors, anything like that, there's there's nothing really. So it was sort of quite um, endogenous. Um, the reason that the bar particularly struck me um, is sort of related to uh, what we're going to talk about, about how everything sort of developed for me. But um, safe to say, and we'll get to most of that later, but safe to say for now that Throughout most of my uh, teenage years, I was really torn with what to do as a job. I thought that it was the most important thing in the whole world. Um, and I was really arty and I loved doing music particularly, and I thought I was gonna be a musician. But I was also really bookish and really didn't know what to do. I thought I had to give 100% to something. Um, and I suppose subconsciously, I was looking for something that could reconcile those two. And then several years later, um, I became very, you know, really, really close friends with um, somebody who was the uh, subject of a quite high profile court protection dispute um, about the end of her life. Uh, and the resolution was that she carried on, obviously, which is how I met her. Um, but she told me about this judgment and I had a look at it. And it was really interesting because the judge kept saying, uh, you know, I'm really thankful to the, to, the, to the advocates of putting all this stuff forward. And it's all been very expeditiously. It was quite time pressured. And I thought, this is really, really weird. Who are these kind of ghostly advocates in the background doing all of this weird stuff? Um, and I then progressed to university and was reading law. And then they said, well, there are two careers. One of them's a barrister. And I thought, oh, hello. <laughs> you know, these are the guys that I read about in my friend's judgment. And it also looks like uh, the reconcilia reconciliation that I was looking for. So it's quite a, it, it spans some time. And I think it, it matured um, the idea over a period of years. But when I kind of landed on it, it felt very right, actually, uh, as a career path for me. And, and and since then, there's not really been anything that I've wanted to do. So, so yeah, fingers crossed that it works out because um, it's been a long time in the coming and it feels, feels really accurate for me. Charlotte and I both had that creative... Um, <laughs> Aspiration when we were in school like, as well. Yeah. Do you still find music as a really good release? Hugely cathartic. Yeah. Hugely cathartic. And I have to have loads of instruments in my room and stuff at home because I'll come back from somewhere, just play a song or whatever, and it's it's just like a release. Three or five minutes and then I feel like I'm calm again. Yeah. So yeah. So I, I honestly think there's a pattern. I really do because you know you've got the musician, mm. Charlotte's got the whole dancing, and mm. I wanted to be a fashion designer. So really. I think you have to have such a creative mind to be able to go into law in a way though your brain has to work a certain way to to formulate ideas and and come up with solutions I think barristers are very creative people I've seen some very creative advocacy um and yes some good some not so good but it's been I think that is what makes it special and because it you have such a human element to being a barrister yeah. in a way that other jobs so yes you can do be very good at your job and make a difference yeah. but the fact that your oral advocacy makes a difference, it certainly is what got me into it. It is that slight performance aspect to it. So, tell us a little bit about your um, your condition. Obviously, um, you know the, the podcast is uh, is not a bar, so we we completely understand that uh, many aspiring barristers, especially our guests, will have some challenges and uh, certain conditions. So, it's really interesting. Um, I think that. 
how we describe conditions um, and disabilities and diagnoses are so important. And um, I was talking with someone actually just yesterday, and uh, um, I volunteer um, for the Citizens Advice Bureau, helping uh, disabled people claim benefits. And I was talking to this lady, and, and, and we were throwing around the word disabled, and she was very uncomfortable with it, when actually she was completely disabled from doing a particular task. Um, and I think how my conditions affect me is something which I don't know how to relate to it, really. Um, I would say that it's an ongoing process, but I don't know if it'll end. Um, but the, the, the diagnosis that I have, it's an it's a interesting little concoction. <laughs> Uh, of a few different things. Um, the central one, and I think the one which probably is most um, unique or rare, particularly for, for guys, um, is anorexia nervosa. So I was diagnosed with this in 2013, in late 2013, um, and the road to get there was, was tricky. And, and, and my other two conditions, which um, are uh, anxiety and depression, um, sparked off from the uh, the anorexia and have sort of been left as residue actually, um, but the, the development of them all was was quite um, interesting for me because you know towards the the tail end of twenty thirteen there'd been some funky stuff going on in my life you know as I said I, I'd had that tension going what was I going to do with my life um, and university was calling so I had to make a decision and there was some uh, some sort of difficulty bereavement in my family and. I suddenly started losing a bunch of, of weight and I became very frail. Um, and uh, we went to the doctor and said, what's going on? And he said, it sounds like you've got an anxiety around food. And I, yeah, it's not that, <laughs> not wrong about yeah. that. Um, but I think the, the way to think about um, at least my eating disorder, and I don't think this is a mischaracterization more generally either, is that it's a pressure valve. Um, I later met a very, very inspiring social worker who said that people that have eating disorders like anorexia um, have an immense amount, or maybe that's overstating it, have psychological pressure which needs to be blown off. And the way in which that manifests is conditioned, I think, by environmental factors. So, uh, and I think in my own life, looking back, I can remember a lot of attention being paid to food and, and shape. Um, perhaps no more than in, a, in anywhere else, any, re any regular environment, but, but I paid a lot of attention to it. So by the time I was 18 and I was uh, fit to burst, uh, that was there for the taking and my body started to break down. Um, and so we went to the GP and eventually I got a diagnosis um, and I was then referred to some specialist eating disorder services and nothing. When I had to start confronting um, the eating disorder by restoring some of the body weight that had been lost. Uh, that was when the other mental difficulties began to manifest. Um, because you can turn a blind eye to, to things. Um, and you know, if, if you don't look at what needs to be attended to, then you're not gonna be experiencing any pain. But eventually I was um, detained in an inpatient hospital in London under either section two or section three of the Mental Capacity Act, I can't remember. <laughs> the difference is the, the time duration. One I think is 28 days and one I think is six months. Um, I can't remember which one it was. Uh, but when that happened, um, I realized that there was nowhere left to run because it was a, a locked ward <clears throat> in South London. Uh, and I was there for nine months. I became very depressed and very anxious and developed some self-harming behaviors. And uh, that nine months was a really intense time. Uh, and I, would, I just turned 18, so it was a, a ward for chronically ill people, um, and I was there with 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds, and I was I was even more of a baby then mm -hmm. than I am now, uh, and it was it was hard, it was really hard. I, I uh, got some inspiration, and um, I realised really in in short uh, that that could be my life forever until I did something differently, and I didn't really want it to be my life forever. Um, so I started doing, I started playing by the book and things started going a bit better. That's where I've got to where I am now. How these things affect me now is a related but slightly different issue because obviously seven years ago, these things were very intense. I'm seven years on and I haven't had a major relapse. Um, and it's very interesting because they all play out slightly differently now to what they did before. Um, for example, my eating difficulties now, um, aren't necessarily in getting a, 
you know, a healthy diet, that's sort of fine. But a lot of anxiety still around being spontaneous and flexible with, with food, um, which we'll come back to because it can really complicate social interactions, mm -hmm. particularly with barristers. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, gone are the days where you had to eat 7,000 meals in hall, but they're not all gone. Um, you know, the, the depression is very cyclical. Weeks can be periods of time when I'll hit maybe a Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, and I'll go under for maybe three days. Um, and I'll lose all my motivation and I'll become very withdrawn. Um, and it's, everything's really hard. Um, and the anxiety still remains and that's sort of there all the time. <laughs> yeah, I feel very fearful of a lot of the world. I mean, the way in which I... I mean, it sort of reminds me in previous episodes what you were saying about fibromyalgia. For me, it's almost like any sensory information is interpreted as fear. So that's a really, it's a really interesting way. Yeah, because yeah. the second you say something like that, I can now understand it, but other people might not know how Completely. it feels. But it's, it's, it's exactly that. It's similar with, I know people with CFS yeah, uh, yeah, fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sort of like you get to a certain point that um, whether you like it or not, your body is interpreting something incorrectly. Yeah. And if, you know, yeah, if I'm doing, mine is, is as pain, yeah. my friends becomes very, very fatigued very quickly. And if that's yeah, what yeah. yours is, then that helps me understand. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I mean, that, that certainly changes my ability of how I interact with the world. No question. Do we consider those a disability? That's harder for me. I think if, if you don't mind us jumping in with, with, Please, with yeah. that question, because I think you've looped back around to what I was going to sort of ask at yeah. the beginning, but wanted you to tell your yeah. story because we just want to put as a proviso for this podcast that you know, we're not asking anyone to actually label their condition mm -hmm. or label their disability yeah. or define in a certain manner. And I think that's very important. We've spoken about this a little bit before, but um, as someone who has a chronic illness, mm -hmm. um, that then disables me. And yeah. we were talking about this just beforehand. I struggled for a long time, particularly because I didn't have a diagnosis, which mm. is perhaps a slightly separate matter, but mm. in knowing how, how to define, and even now how to define myself, I sort of think if I put the disabled label on me, am I just going a step too far? Yeah. Should I just call it a chronic illness? But then, you know, I have to use mobility aids to just to get around, which other people with fibromyalgia and things don't have to. So mm. um, although there is the... Um, the Equality Act, which defines disability um, as uh, 12 months, um, it, it long term, which it says is 12 months, and an impairment is something that um, sort of uh, alters your day to day in a negative way. Yeah, so what is to say that we we don't ever expect someone to label themselves? I think that's really important. But I think it does lead, and I don't know about, about you, to questioning identity, to knowing where I fit in, to wanting not. You, know, you don't want to be disabled and want to be part of a community, but actually having that label for me means I've met more people yeah. and it's a much more welcoming environment. Yeah, yeah. And Halima's talked about this before with, with your yeah. eyesight as well. Mm. Just one question I did have yeah. um, following just your story, if you don't mind, um, is it's interesting that you said that it was the recovery that led to more depression, more anxiety. Yeah. Because I think I do, as someone who had, you know, I, I do have anxiety. I've not actually told a lot of people that. So this podcast will probably come out a little bit more. But um, for me, I think when we think about eating disorders, we usually think about it almost going the other way around. I certainly yeah. think that that's the media perception yeah. in in you know, programs yeah. or, or what's presented is that someone will have depression and in order to try and overcome it in some way, that leads to anxiety or bulimia. Yeah. or so, so was it for you, was there any sense of that before the anorexia or was that a, mm. something that you felt developed on its own and then it was only once you had to come to terms with a battle, battle back yeah that that's what caused you to... yeah i mean just before i get into that it just it feels so lovely to be kind of talking about it with people that sort of can relate because it's just it's a fantastic question it's a fantastic question and it's one that i've never really thought of i've never been asked before um i think there was certainly something going on before the anorexia there's certainly something going on um i didn't have a lot of self-knowledge then some days I think I don't have much now either, <laughs> um, but but I couldn't tell what was going on. I felt this sense of something impending um, because of this decision that I felt had to be made about my future. Was that anxiety? Was that depression? Certainly not as I know them now. Um, mm. It was something else. But it was, you know, I, I think the the, the 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 media coverage around eating disorders has become a bit more sophisticated, oh, and, and there is more discussion about how it affects men and, and why it affects men. Then my awareness of anxiety and depression definitely calcified as my recovery occurred. 
but I'm not, I, I don't know what was going on before, but something yeah. was. No, I, I completely get that. It's a little, little bit similar to me because I didn't, I, now I'm going through um, behavioral therapy, which mm. is, it basically helps me to not overcome my pain, but rationalize it, which mm. just makes it easier to deal with. Mm. Um, and because you can't fix my condition in any way, it's how do you sort of cope with it in the meantime? Yeah. And one of the things that we've been talking about recently with um, when, when I got my anxiety diagnosis even then it's interesting I don't think of that as a diagnosis <laughs> having yeah with other things but yeah. it was and um there are things similar that actually when I look back I had traits of it yeah. for quite a few years in the build-up yeah um but it has been the pain and my condition that have triggered it to be worse because mm. I now overthink a lot of things yes. I overthink using my stick I overthink not using my stick I overthink to, uh, accepting help I overthink mm. people offering help yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. and one of the big things yeah. I'm working on at the moment is accepting accepting help mm. um, and saying yes when I'm offered things yeah. and not thinking that people are resenting me in some way for accepting help that's my big one at the moment <laughs> yeah. because I do I've gone from especially when you develop conditions um, you know even though we've, we've talked with Halima as well about you know, the fact that you've had it from birth and yet you've still got to overcome things but mm. I think for yeah. like having never had something before and suddenly having all this sort of on top is it can become very overwhelming yeah. um and it's it's how all the things interplay with each other that although we talk about here's my diagnosis and this is my one word mm. I think these things interplay so often <laughs> and the, I don't think people necessarily know that and, and it comes to think I've not talked about having anxiety with it because mm -hmm. I'm sort of like well so let's just think about the other thing because yeah. that's that you know people can see that and yeah, can rationalize yeah, yeah. it and actually I find it much more much harder to talk about because it is so internal and so private mm -hmm. in many ways um the way that yeah. you know, I, I try not to, to in any way present it publicly yeah. um and it's I think it's very important especially going into this career where something where you are how you present yeah. matters totally. i think it's, it's really important to to talk about this mm. um and and you know what affects us isn't just isn't just physical but mm. for okay. the even for even for those of us that are physical it can have that latter um play on effect mentally as well mm. um and it's it's difficult yeah. it's not just over, it's not for me it's not just stairs it's not just lifts it's then you know the internal battles i have right. yeah. um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. that's completely, why it's really important to talk about it completely agreed one thing I think is uh, you raised a very good point, which we haven't raised before actually, because you're our first male guest, <laughs> yeah. um, is is the fact that you you said also that as a guy, mm. it, that you sort of led led in with a few times with that. And did you feel that I mean, particularly with anorexia, yeah. if, if someone says that you do think of girls automatically, yeah. um, obviously that's not true. Um, it is both gender. So, yeah. did you feel that that made a difference? Did you think that, for example, you would have perhaps been diagnosed quicker if you were a different gender or you know was was that was your gender something that you felt people took into account when mm. when considering your or diagnosing you yeah I mean I think that my gender delayed my diagnosis I think that's I'm quite confident about that um but I'm also sure that it put me at a quite a bizarre crossroads because there I've met maybe three maybe three men um on my sort of seven years um of eating disorder contact um and i've met loads and loads and loads of of, of women um and so you mentioned earlier the disabled community when i look out and try and find people like me i don't see anyone usually um and that can be difficult because then how do i have kind of a reflexive conversation about what it means to me about kind of self um, discovery, I guess, and identification. Um, but I do feel that it, 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 it made me an outlier in my experience with mental health illness and the way that everything crossed over. So I do think that it changed um, my perception, at least, of my context. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so with, with everything that you've uh, said, Jordan, I um I remember when you when you emailed us, you you said something that I that I thought was very remarkable, uh, and that was why you chose to become a barrister. Mm. Um, you know, being detained under the Mental Health Act is not the best way to spend a Friday night, uh, but it was how I spent mine uh, all those years ago. And these Quite a few Friday nights. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I had a series of Friday nights sitting there happily detained, or not so happily detained. But I had this contact with these social workers and they came in and they asked me all these questions about 
um, what my plans were for the future, what my plans were in the past. You know, did I always want to be unwell, or was this something transient? Um, it was turned out to be quite transient, but it made me think about um, what the law was. I'd never really, uh, I've been fortunate enough to not have much contact with the law uh, before that in my life. Um, but here it was, kind of putting me in this little box. Uh, I then had this lingering curiosity about what were these laws that had sort of detained me? Um, and how do they interact with people? Why do people behave the way they do? Um, what happens when you have groups of people together? Um, for example, me being the only um, male on the ward, that was an interesting dynamic. So I did A-levels again and I studied psychology, the individual, sociology, which is groups, and law, which is what happens when you try to contain those individually or as a collective. Um, law interested me, interested me most, so I pursued it to university, but I think um, the legal interest really was very tied up with the experience of of, of being detained uh, in the ward. Yeah, so I, I think I was, I was very interested to learn more about the laws that had been used to detain me, so I, I went on and, and I studied law. And I mentioned earlier that being a barrister particularly was very tied up with um, the friend who was a subject of a court of protection case. And by the way, she was a friend that I met on the inpatient ward. Oh, brilliant. So she was fantastic and still is this kind of totemic figure in my mind. Uh, interestingly, when I went to university later on, I studied medical law um, and and her case was on the reading list. Wow. And God. we talked about her in tutorial and that was mad. That's, that is very weird. I, I, <laughs> I, I think that when, I mean, and I've never had that degree, but I think when the law overlaps with people you know, oh. it hits her. No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a mad time, but it's very, it, the whole thing is very, very much bound up in that sort of nine month period that I was on, on the inpatient ward in 2013, 2014, um, hugely so, yeah. And how much did you feel that you got an understanding of, you, you said you went in wanting an understanding of, of sort of how you'd been saying legally, why, yeah. did you get that sense? Did you get sort of a, not a closure about it, but like a, 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 an understanding of it? Yeah. I mean, I've certainly come up with, a, with an understanding of what law is all about, uh, <laughs> which I guess is, is, is the aim uh, of any legal education. Um, my interests have very much swung round back to the care system in recent years, very much. Um, my legal interests are sort of public law with a particular focus on disability. Um, and I think going through the early stages of my legal education, I probably lost sight actually of that being my kind of lodestar, if you yeah. like. Um, and they were all talking about contract law and it's all exciting and EU stuff. And I thought, well, this could perhaps be where I go. But it was when I then returned afterwards and the dust off the settle that I realised that actually this is what I want to be doing with my life. Um, so out the other end, looking back, I definitely now do have a greater sense of closure on the episode and I think much more willingness to interact with people that are that are also in stages where they perhaps need some support or some um, guidance. Uh, yeah, perhaps a, a delayed sense of uh, gratification. How has your time at law school been um, given everything that you've shared with us, mm. and what I'll what I'll do is, given that you're only one week into Boston, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll ask that you uh, touch on your time so far yeah. at Bar School as well. The legacy has been ambivalence, ambiguity, uh, and sort of uncertainty with it because um, the really interesting thing about for me, you know, I had this time in the inpatient ward and then the day patient ward and outpatient, but then it stopped. And it was almost quite tempting to box that off, right? So that was a, an episode, that was a bad dream. Yeah. And people talk about recovery. So ha had I then recovered, if I had done, what would that mean going forward? Because part of my fear when going into university was that if I continued to believe that I was in that world, that I had that sort of very intense eating disorder treatment world, maybe it would become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So particularly in the early stages of university, I told sort of no one really that decision is sort of taken out of my hands somewhat um, because I carry some damage on my body <laughs> still um, from sort of some of the self-harming episodes. Um, so there is an element to which I can't hide it. And, and, and in both of the episodes, that sort of the first two episodes of this podcast, you've both spoken about relating to AIDS and when you use AIDS in front of people, when do you give that visual cue that, um, that, that you're affected in some way. 
Now, that was like a, a, a lightning bolt when I heard that, because that's exactly my experience. And I'd never thought about how that would work with physical aids, because it's been completely my life um, with yeah. my, how my body looks. Um, and so whenever summer rolls around and everything, it's an incredibly difficult period for me. I'm always wearing long sleeve shirts and everything else. Um, so in university, I didn't like to relate to it too much, but part of that was out of my hands. Um, there was also a lot of ambivalence about going to kind of disability services. Um, I would usually get referred on, let's say, watch out guys, he's coming. Yeah. Um, and throughout the entirety of my undergrad, I had weekly counseling sessions. Um, which, again, I, I resisted at the beginning. I thought, I don't want to still be in this world. Yeah. You know, I've made it to university. I've, I've done my bit. <laughs> Let's, you know, I eventually said to the counsellor, listen, I don't want to do it. And he said, fine, walk away. I had two weeks off and I went, no, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Someone to talk to is such a massive thing. Yeah. You know, um, so very, very ambivalent. And, and, and going into bar school now, Again, what do I do? I, I have I have the feeling that I'm not going to be wearing many short sleeve shirts throughout the whole thing. I think that's just probably how I'm going to do it because it's a more professional yeah. environment. I don't think that's that unusual. Um, but there are people that I trust who I have told now already, and I and I think I will continue to do that because if I don't tell people, I feel like I've got this skeleton in the closet. So I think that's a really interesting question of uh, where the lines drawn between who you are. And what you have yeah. um and i feel the yeah. same thing it's like am i uh, even trying to phrase this thing it's like am i a yeah a, 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 will will i be a yeah. barrister with a disability yeah, yeah, yeah. am i a disabled barrister or am i a barrister oh also i have you this have on the side yeah. um and i think that's an interesting thing to try and work out where yeah how much of it is part of you yeah. um, and i think that's something that I've had to, to come to terms with particularly and it was again it's something else you just said which is about the concept of being fixed yeah or the concept of it being over yeah. um and having had many health conditions that led up to this to the one that I do have now that weren't linked mm. this everything had been fixed mm. everything was <laughs> everything was fixable yeah. at least yeah, yeah. um and so that's when it when it came to having this condition it was uh yeah even now people are like, oh can you get better yeah, yeah, yeah. and when you say no they're like Oh, yeah. but it's, it's but with, with mental health as well, yeah. it is one of those things that you don't just one day you're like, oh, I'm so much better, you know, yeah, I'm better, and I and it'll never attack you, you know, it yeah, yeah, yeah. raises yeah, yeah, yeah. head again or however you want to phrase that. Mm. Um, it is something that is, is an ongoing battle, and yeah. even now, like I have limited, <laughs> good old NHS um, <laughs> therapy, and yeah. it's you know we had, we had limited time, but she yeah. said, oh, we've got four sessions left, and yeah. so actually, you know, my my next session is going to be how to take this forward because right. I'm not going to get to the end of four sessions and be like everything's fixed, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thanks so much, you know, we're done. Yeah. Um, it's going to be something that you carry with you. So I think that mm. you've raised a really interesting point of of that where does it where is it a part of me they said i need people to know i don't want to talk about it i don't want to go into it but i just need you to know mm. to the extent that for me if, if i have a pain attack yeah, you're yeah, aware yeah. of what's happening and you can calmly help me deal with totally. it and similarly i guess with you you just you want people to know to a degree that you're like just in case i need to leave just yeah. in case i want to feel like this just yeah. in case i do but I don't need to tell you everything and really? where does that line draw and when we are on this scale this spectrum whatever you want to call it it is how much just how much i'm going to let that door open to you and how much i trust you with yeah. it as well yeah. yeah i mean i think this is something we're gonna touch on again but the the, the real and imagined consequences of disclosure um because there are some you know you can think, oh, this might count against me in some way um and I'll, i think i'll probably get into this later uh, but also most of the time people are okay with it or at least are understanding mm -hmm. people that that you care about really i mean yeah the, the extent to which it's part of me the extent to which if i treat it part of me it's a self-fulfilling prophecy it's a huge i mean i live with this all the time um in my mind these sorts of questions and and i'm very wary when i meet new people that i don't overwhelm them i don't want to burden anyone that's something yeah. you've spoken about a bit so it's a it's a it's a whole thing and uh, but university i think was a lot a long process of being unsure about how to deal with it, telling some people, not having full control over how much people inferred, <laughs> um, but trying to make it work and, and ambivalently using some services when they're available, but not being too enthusiastic about it. Yeah.
And were those were those services quite open to you? Uh, did you have to apply, or were they ones that were sort of automatically put in place? Because I think that's yeah. trying to have to ask for help is always a big thing, yeah. especially when you go to a new place, yeah. new university, and that's like repeat, quite repeated for bar school, didn't yeah. for me. Yeah. So did yeah, were you able to find things quickly, or was it just sort of already in place for you? Yeah, I mean, so the, the counselling thing was sort of there when I arrived. They said um, you're on the books crack on um but with stuff like extra time you know i knew that that was available um and it took me three years in undergrad to take it um because people said what are you doing you know you find exams incredibly anxiety working incredibly stressful so much so that when you're in when you're in there your brain is frying yeah um <laughs> And you're over everything you write. You're thinking, well, that word isn't quite particularly in legal studies. I mean, come on, you know, well, that, everywhere, that yeah. might is a may, and that it shouldn't be an s there, and everything. So I'd take hours to write anything. Um, so extra time is something that I've been, I've had to sort of consider at each stage, at undergrad, then postgrad, then now in a bar, in in in, in the bar on the bar course, um, and that's been hard. I think listen, actually listening to this podcast has given me the confidence to ask for extra time in bar school. I haven't done it yet, but some of the ways in which you described it in the earlier episodes, um, particularly, I think it might've been you, Helen, that said, you're not taking it away from anyone. And I heard that and I was, yeah, can't remember. <laughs> but, but I remember hearing that and going, wow, yeah, I mean, absolutely true. Um, there, there is that thing that it's, it's really interesting. I, I'm, so, I'm so glad this has done at least a small something yeah. um, that I've, positive nugget of good but for me it was a massive thing because I think especially at school if you saw people with extra time you knew they had dyslexia <laughs> I'm gonna be blunt that was it they either had dyslexia or they had something very clearly physical that meant that they had to come in and out mm. and so I I ended up having rest breaks once where I think it was my I think it was only mock GCSEs because I'd been in hospital and I had to yeah stand up every so often it, it is that there are so many reasons that you can have extra time mm. um, that's, I think it's one thing that unless you are told you can have it, mm. Mm. people don't necessarily yeah. think about um, because I don't have, yeah, I don't have dyslexia or uh, another specific condition like that. That's very obvious in need mm. of extra time or mm. you know, yeah. you've broken your hand or totally. something. That was, that was always, it was always someone with a yeah, cast yeah, wasn't yeah, who needed yeah. more time to write. So I think it's really important that, yeah, people know that that is an option for people for a variety of reasons. And okay. even I, having talked about it and talked about it with Halima, didn't think of it for you. And of course, yeah. of course. Yeah, and yeah. now as soon as you said it, I was like, well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And I was like, but you didn't think about that before either. So yeah, yeah. yeah thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. And the heightened nature, I think that's what it is, yeah, is people, yeah. especially be like, well, everyone struggles. No, yeah. this is a heightened level that people can't quite comprehend. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And yeah, if you need it, I think it exactly what Halima said before, mm. it's, it's yours and it's there as an option and mm -hmm. yeah, you don't take away time from someone else to give it to you. It's not yeah, that there's yeah, a yeah. finite amount of time that, yeah, 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 you can you can have 20 minutes extra, but you have to take that away from yeah. Joe Bloggs over there. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, it's a like brilliant point to raise. Thank you. Yeah, it just comes back to um, how confident you are in asking for help and knowing that, you know, that help is there for you. Um, I think it was a discussion that Charlotte and I were having in episode one mm. where, we, we, you know, we were talking about... Um, the whole idea of if you have extra time you might be seen as um less you know why do you need extra time but with me uh, i think i think with my sight loss i um i started like figuring out that i need all these extra things when i was like gcse stage mm. uh, and from then i've just found it useful to someone asks me something, I'll just be like, I can't see it, you know, mm -hmm. I can't see that. Have you found support in, um, say, uh, barristers' chambers or mm -hmm. barristers that you've shadowed or law firms? Um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, part of the reason I was so happy to, to, to come on this podcast, I'm excited to come on this podcast, is because it gives me a new lens to look at my experience through. You know, I, I've told my story about you know, being uh, on the ward lots of times, but I've never really looked at it in terms of how has it affected university? How has it affected my mini pupillage experience? Has it affected everything else? Uh, and that was a really interesting kind of thought experiment for me. And what it didn't take me too long to, to, to notice <laughs> was that mini pupillages have almost all been 
specked and speckled by um, difficult decisions around food. So many chambers, um, you know, I'm sure people will be aware of this, have this sort of courtesy thing where the barrister that you're with will buy you lunch. Um, and I think, and in fact, in one time I was at a mini, um, uh, we had a lunch in Lincoln's Inn and it was all grand and everything else. Um, now, part of the kind of shadow that I'm left with um, with anorexia is that impulsive decisions around food, I just freeze, I just freeze and I don't, I can't do it. I feel incredibly anxious. I mean, I, I can maybe take a stab at something and make a choice about what to eat or whatever. Um, but my word is that an emotionally intense experience for me. Uh, and also, you know, eating in somebody else's presence, that can be hard. That can be really hard for me if I have a, you know, weirdly, if it's people I don't know, if we're in a park somewhere and never see people again, I don't really think about it. But if I'm with people that I uh, have a, 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 a relationship with in whatever form or, 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 or I, I admire them, um, I can feel quite vulnerable eating in front of others. So the, the, the food and the, the, the place of food in many pupillages has always been really draining for me, really, really draining. And sort of we'll get an hour out of court if it's a sort of a long, a long trial and we'll have lunch or whatever. And I'll get back to court and I think, you know, I can relax again. And it should be the other way around. But I haven't ever, ever mentioned this on minis. Uh, and I've never thought to, because it's just part of my life. I mean, with many conditions, I think, we find ways to make things work. You know, mm. I think something which I think about all the time is this sort of notion of disability is so sort of complete, so total, it completely disables you. But actually, I think so often it can be a case of, of finding workarounds, making things work. So I had just thought, well, this is just how I make it work. Yeah. Um, I just take a hit in the middle of the day. Yeah, I completely guess, especially I think with mini pupillages, um, and it's go back to my stair story. That, it's yeah. for me, it's about the finite amount of time. Really? It's like I can put up with this for two days, three days a week. Yeah, two weeks because yeah. it will be over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, and actually, if I can force myself to do the thing that I struggle to do the most, yeah. at least after that, it stops. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. if I think about bar school, at least it was a full year I had to do something mm. because I couldn't do that for a year. <laughs> but actually, I think it's interesting yeah. with these finite experiences where we. Talk, we don't think about disclosure and I certainly mm. didn't for a long time I wouldn't yeah. have, you know didn't go above and beyond to say did you do you have stairs outside your chambers because mm. like oh, I can enter chambers for two days yeah. you know without thinking about it too badly yeah, 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 yeah. so yeah. I think it is that yeah do you disclose something agreed. to people especially that you're not going to develop a long-term relationship with yeah. perhaps you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. some barristers I'm still in touch with some people no yeah I'm not and they, mm. they had a brilliant time but yeah that, that was that was a short amount yeah, of time with sure. them so I think it's sort of part of that do I trust them enough to tell them more? Because, and it's also very exhausting to tell your yeah, story repeatedly. Um, you know, and actually, if, I've, if I'm doing a mini pupillage, um, one time I shadowed three different people on three different days. Mm. And actually, I don't Ooh, want to repeat yeah. my story every Ooh. day. That's, you know, I don't want my whole life to be telling my story. So actually, it's mm. better just to put up with it yeah. and get on with and it. And run that gauntlet every morning yeah. about how are they going to take it, you know, that whole exactly. uncertainty. Yeah, so, so I, I can, for, for exactly similar reasons, it's been something that I've been very sort of tepid about. And, you know, the anxiety, that's going to be there as well. I wake up in the morning, I think, oh, my word, it's all this going on. How am I going to deal with it? And particularly in terms of when I'm with barristers, any sort of what I perceive to be a slip up, I feel like the world's ended, frankly. Um, and mm -hmm. if I say something that I think is really silly or ask a silly question, I mean, again, this stuff's, this stuff's scalar. And I think probably everyone will be able to relate to some extent to what I'm talking about. But what these things mean when they conspire is mm -hmm. that, mini pupillages for me can be really, really draining, uh, like really draining. And particularly if they're a full five day work week, I'll leave and I'll probably need a week to recover actually. Um, so it's not been something which I've been comfortable talking about before um, with, with Chambers. Again, again, listening to this podcast has made me rethink that um, because it's so easy, it would be so avoidable. It'd be so avoidable, particularly if, you know, if in court somewhere in, Hol in Hoban or something like that, just pop out to Lincoln's on, in the fields on your own for an hour, have a sandwich. That would be bliss. That would be bliss for me. Hugely restorative and so easy. <laughs> you know, different if there's a client in, um, you know, in, in a room in the court and that's a discussion that would be useful for me to attend. Um, and of course, taking myself away, I miss out on an opportunity to do with the barrister. So that, of course there are drawbacks, but it's something to consider. Uh, and I've not really ever considered it before. Um, obviously, Charlotte and I 
when we were brainstorming the idea, that's what we wanted. Mm. We wanted, um, because we, we were like, well, have this existed when we were maybe in your shoes, you know, you just starting the bar course or perhaps even earlier when we were maybe final year of, of undergrad. Mm. Um, it definitely would have benefited me and, and you'd make, either, either you're just um, kissing up to us. You've mentioned it, I think twice now, and um, you know, brownie points for having listened to both um, <laughs> the episodes that have um, been, uh, you know, released because I, I truly feel, I, I can, I can, I get that feeling from you that it has really um, perhaps uplifted um, and hopefully giving you, um, you know, a better, uh, you know, like, oh, these are things I can also consider. So I, I'm, I'm very pleased that it's, it's helping you in whatever way. Brilliant. So if we then launch into, you've had, we've talked about education, we've talked about sort of uh, personal development with so many pupilages and things like that but so the big next step for all of us <laughs> the dreaded the yeah. dreaded yeah. pupilage applications um and you've let me know off uh off podcast that you know you've you have already done around yeah um we all have uh, yeah. which i think is, is <laughs> something that we all try to forget for at least six months at least it's like let's go back to normal life and then yeah. we'll launch back into this when we're ready yeah. but having done it once um how was it for you mm. what did you learn from it what will you change next time yeah. perhaps I mean, one thing that I learned from it that I'm actually going to replicate is the fact that, in my view, talking about disability can be hugely beneficial on an application, hugely beneficial if framed right. Because I think there are two ways to deal with it. Um, you can either um, sort of use it as a sob story uh, and try and kind of get a Simon Cowell moment where they just <laughs> come off their lofty throne and extend an arm. Um, I'm not convinced that I haven't tried that. I'm not convinced that that would be very successful. Um, I think the alternative framing, which is one that I used um, in first round, and was picked up at uh, first round, in the last time I applied, and was picked up on an interview, is that actually when you live with um, an impairing condition of some description, um, you have to develop a lot of the qualities that the bar is looking for. Um, you have to develop an incredible amount of resilience incredible amount of resilience. You have to be very good at problem solving. Uh, you have to be very good at thinking of your feet on your feet. And it tends to hone the way in which you communicate with other people. Now, I'm quite sure that elements of that will be available to anybody that has a condition which impairs them in some way. And I think if you find the, the right wording uh, of communicating what's gone on for you, and showing you how it's given you these skills or it's hardened these skills that's very effective in my experience um, i don't i don't think i disclosed it in a way which held me back at all i i think that it is actually a very empowering thing and this is a, a core uh, almost call to arms for people in positions like ours um because mine it <laughs> it can be mined and mm -hmm. I think that there will be incredible insights that can come out and in my experience they have only ever been for the good um, yeah, I must say, I must say, I, I agree with you, Jordan, because mm. I've, um, I think we've sort of always had that. Oh, do I, do I talk about it? Do I not talk about it? And and you know, um, if I I felt that I have overcome so much with my sight loss that that is my story. Mm. Um, uh, and and it's so embedded into every stage of my life that I have overcome um, all the additional challenges that life throws at you whilst being, um, you know, partially sighted, mm. severely sighted. Yeah, you know, there, there is a there is a way of of, of sharing your story, but um, doing it in a way that you are you're true to what you've experienced, and you're saying here. Look at everything that I've achieved whilst being X, Y, Z. I think for me, one of the things I struggled with with pupillage applications is, um, and I don't know if people have thought about this before, but a lot of the questions are negatively phrased, as in what have you, uh, not necessarily, but you have to have had some sort of 
big life thing to happen mm. in order to make you a good it's yeah. like yeah. yes yeah. it does make it that but it almost feels like it's like apparently when people write like american college applications mm. they have to talk about some massive thing that they've you know done and like yeah, yeah, it feels yeah. a little bit like that sometimes where it's like what have you overcome and yeah. it's like I, and actually i sit there in questions like have i overcome my disability probably mm. not like I've mm. just, it's just how I've, I've endured with it yeah. uh, and i struggled a little bit with where to put it because actually actually for the questions you know when it's like show us how you've been resilient yeah. show us how you've overcome something yeah. show us how you've spoken to someone I'm like this could all be yeah. and yeah. actually yeah. so yeah. sometimes it's like picking yeah. and choosing one totally. um and putting it where it is and i sort of struggled with yeah wanting to have it in there somewhere mm. because actually it, i really wanted to use it for this but then part of me was like actually for say resilience, should I put something else? Mm -hmm. Are they going to look at my application and go, okay, she's got, she's disclosed these yeah, disabilities. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, her resilience is overcoming this disability. Okay. And I, I sort of that really plays on me. And yeah, I don't know yeah, if that's yeah. again part of just my anxiety yeah. creeping in of overthinking yeah, what yeah. they're thinking. Yeah. But part of me just couldn't, yeah, was was really uncertain about whether they'd just go, yeah, yeah. I. And even when it's not a sob story moment, mm. writing yeah. it down feels like a sob story yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. almost like remember i've got this yeah. and and i've had to have a comment so i feel a bit sorry for me but it's like yeah. no but that was the question and they wouldn't yeah. have asked the question if they didn't want you to have that no, as an answer so completely. if there are people who are in chambers out there i would love to hear if you see that on a on, a, on an application it's if it's written well obviously <laughs> and it's not just someone um you know, putting it down um do you what, what are your reactions to it because that's something i've never actually found out from anyone and mm -hmm. it is something that i th overthink so, a lot that's um, a it's a tricky one it's a really tricky one i think that's a really fair point and and having sort of gone to all those webinars and everything yeah. they, they tell you uh, about um sort of what can it what it could be like to read applications one thing i've heard is that you uh, you almost or at least i i believe that it's useful to almost have a um a, a characterizing incident of some sort so oh that was that person that did sumo wrestling or that was the jouster yeah you know i i was i met someone a year after my application and she was like ah boring and latin dancer and i was like <laughs> yes <laughs> but, re but really useful and i think the risk then the, the, the risk that i feel when i'm writing it is do i want oh that becomes you do i want their takeaway to be that eating disorder guy or, or that person that was an impatient um the answer might not always be no, you know, if it's a medical law chambers or something like that, then that might be an in, that might be attention grabbing. Um, but, you know, I was saying earlier that um, uh, I, I had a lot of creative stuff going on when I was young and I was in a lot of bands. And actually when I left the inpatient ward for about two years, three years, I made money through music. Um, I was busking and then playing weddings and things. Um, that's also a really, really good kind of characterizing factor so if i want to lean into that then i can do and still have the uh the the the, the diagnosis in the back pocket for something else so I, th I don't think it's um oversensitive what you're saying at all i think i think that there there is a risk of um of it not working to your advantage if you don't if you're not thoughtful about it yeah. and we clearly are being thoughtful about it yeah. talking about, yeah. you know, uh, and it not becoming your whole as well i think that's the only thing i can imagine reading if i read back my thing my application i don't want people that's the only thing they see which yeah. is sort of what you're saying as long as you you are more yeah and really that is very difficult for us because sort of you know yeah. disability in some ways defines us in some ways takes over our lives and so it's like we have to be even more yeah, whereas yeah, someone yeah. else would only need to have you know a b oh. and c whereas mm -hmm. we need that plus d and e to try and get through so yeah. um it is a difficult one to write but it's yeah. it's one of those things that i think i agree with you i will put it in probably an answer because yeah. Especially this year, it's been even more yeah. the last year for me. So I think that's been you know, something that I, I want to put down because I'm proud of it. Yeah, I think and that's that's something that I'm, I'm I want I want them to know. Mm. Great. So we've come to a point where sort of more generally we, we focus on your journey, but mm. we've got we always sort of end with the point of of good, bad, and takeaway. That's <laughs> how it's about. So with your pursuit of the bar, with your conditions. What do you think has been, has there been a standout experience that someone, somewhere, something has made your journey to the bar better? Um, well, what's, have you had a particular experience? What's your best experience been, do you think? I think it's, it's a hard question because in some respects, you know, when I haven't disclosed it, that sort of prevented anything fruitful from coming out of that. 
the best experience has actually been to start to talk about it in things like applications for English, in applications for scholarships, and just seeing how that works. Because in my experience, it has worked, or it has been successful and it's been well received. And I think that's then kind of made me, again, reassess what this is for me and start to view it as actually, you know, as, as, a strength. Um, because I've changed a lot, obviously, since this happened. Before all of this happened, I was uh, someone else, really. Um, but, but I'm very different now. So I, I think, yeah, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's just about starting to talk about it and seeing that it has been well received, really. Um, yeah. Brilliant. That's, it's, it's great to have an overall <laughs> the positive, positive in many ways. Yeah. I think it's, it takes a lot to develop to that moment. It's yeah. not, it's not a, an overnight thing with a lot of these things. It, is, it, is, a, it is a path and it is a journey. Not to bring the tone down, <laughs> yeah. but, it's important, it's, it, but it's important to, to ask, I think, similarly, has there been a, it can be general, general again, or single point where you just said that, that was probably one of the worst experiences in terms of this or has been the hardest thing overall to, yeah. to get to this stage? Well, I think really um, every time something happens, uh, if I have a particularly bad period of depression or I turn down some social invitation that I really would have liked to go to because of my anxiety, it feels like the world's falling apart. Every time is the worst time. And mm. I think it's not, I'm not being kind of facetious with this answer, but the general experience has made me feel like my progression has been so different from people that I see around me. Um, you know, I'm going to, I went to a uh, sort of one of the first introductory events at Gray's recently, and I was looking at everyone around talking and, and sometimes I'm struck, it looks so easy to people. I mean, everybody says that it's can be horrible, that sort of stuff. Um, but for me, the, the run up to the experience of and the, the, the aftermath of that event is so incredibly emotionally disruptive. And in fact, after that event, I don't think I slept because I was just so wired. Um, so it's those sorts of moments that feel so sort of detonative um, that then make me think, oh, it's easy then to get a bit down in your luck because you see everybody seemingly going about and, 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 and enjoying or um, um, you know, working through the process uh, well, when actually internally, my struggle through it can feel actually very alienating. And that's something which comes up sort of every day, um, certainly a lot in university. Um, and, and, and those ongoing questions about how do I talk to people? Do I let people know? And I don't have a, a, a crystal ball. I don't know what's going on in anyone's mind. And actually when you speak to people, they tend to have some version of what I'm describing going on. Um, but it's the invisibility of it, which I can find so demeaning because for me, it's so inescapable, this sort of inner world. Um, it can feel very isolating. So I think that the answer is, is actually my progression. The whole course of my progression has felt so different to what I perceived that emotionally it's been upsetting, uh, particularly at discrete incidents, but really along the whole way. Um, I think, just picking up on what you said there, I think it's difficult as well for anyone who has um, a condition that fluctuates. Yeah. And especially with things like that, you might be comfortable in one situation and not in another. Um, and you might one day be comfortable with one group of people and exactly the same group of people the next day not comfortable with. Completely. And um, it, I have the same with with anxiety, but also yeah, with, with pain. It's yeah. like one, so well, you, you managed to do this before yeah. it's like yes but i can't today because yeah. of this and trying to get people to understand that is is very hard um, and yeah. you on your best day is exactly that <laughs> is you on your best day it's not you who has suddenly got better yeah. and then you get worse again Completely. it's it's this is me today this is how i am i'm comfortable with this and the next day you might not be comfortable with it um and it's that i, I personally find that very very difficult that i can i can have social anxiety concerns about my closest friends <laughs> meeting up with people who yeah. and that that i just don't want to go and exactly that and i think people also don't realize that with certain conditions particular anxiety but that's the only one i've mm. sort of experienced it's not just the moment it's not just the moment you're there mm. it is from the moment you know it's happening yeah. it is afterward yeah. it's, it's right building up yeah. to it and i'm it's made me not spontaneous mm, because oh, yeah. I can't just so, someone is like, Oh, I had, yes, yeah, so I get texts like, Oh, we're at the pub local to you. Come yeah, on down. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I have not had time to 
mentally prepare for this and actually like if, if you'd yeah. told me two hours earlier yeah. a day earlier yeah. however long i might have needed i would have been completely i've had my my brain would be building up to it it knows what's coming and we're off mm-hmm. and actually it doesn't always have time to flip that that switch exactly. really quickly um and sometimes i sometimes i can still go i just need more time mm-hmm. and i was like okay but i'll come in an hour yeah, yeah, yeah. once i prepared yeah. once i feel okay in myself yeah. but sometimes even even going mm-hmm. by that point i haven't fully come to terms with yeah, going and I can be really quiet when I get there yeah. and I'm not I'm quite a, I'm quite a social person yeah. it's very weird being a social person then having social anxiety <laughs> you're like I can't wait to be at this event I don't want to be at this event yeah, at yeah. the same time yeah. and um yeah. it could, that could be uh, something especially when someone else dictates your timetable mm. um in some way if you are yeah if you're prepared and you have control yeah in some way but when yeah, people are like just be spontaneous just yeah. go and do this go just go I was like no yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it is something that it's difficult because we know that we will have to be sort of spont- more spontaneous in roles mm. or if you're doing fast-paced um, work at the bar, mm-hmm. getting yeah. something the night before and yeah, prepping yeah. for the next day, which yeah. whether that's physically for me, as like, I'm going to feel well enough in the morning yeah. or is it, am I going to be mentally ready in the morning? Yeah. And that could be two very different things, yeah. but can have a similar effect. So it is something that yeah. does concern me long-term, yeah. um, but um, it's good to hear it from someone else. Yeah. I think particularly with things like anxiety, like, Interesting, you earlier talking about trying to process words mm-hmm. um, and I got fibro fog, type of fibromyalgia yeah. causes this, this brain blockage. Yeah. Um, people are like, oh, we all forget stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. no, yeah, 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 it's yeah. not the same thing. Yeah. And trying to, people will, bless them, will try to rationalize mm-hmm. to themselves, yeah. um, but yeah. uh, it isn't always the case. That's I mean, I'm actually really, really glad you returned to this because it's something that I wanted to come back to. Um, sort of the, what happens when you tell people about this stuff? You know, for example, about, having issues being spontaneous which is i completely get that um that's my experience and it would be cathartic to 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 tell people about that but i'm not sure i want them to stop inviting me that's massive thing yeah and and i I want to tell people but i don't want them to treat me like i'm broken goods you know I, i i i can still behave in ways which are entirely in line with what i want to do sometimes um it can be emotionally disruptive sometimes it's a fluctuating thing uh, sort of what I want them to know is that there is a risk that I might be struggling. <laughs> um, it's not about the fact that I'm completely incapacitated from doing it ever. And and I certainly don't want to be um, kind of ostracized for fear of people upsetting me. It's a, It's been a very difficult thing. And, and, and also sort of disclosing it to, to, to barristers mm-hmm. and chambers for the same reason. What are the repercussions here? Because if accommodations are made, that's clearly in the interests. But also, I don't want to be treated like I'm somehow def- a, def- a defect. Um, yeah, I'm glad we returned to that because that's something which, again, has been a really long-going thing for me. But one thing we ask people, because it's not quite a long podcast to listen to, um, but uh, if you've made it this far, as, as always, thank you so much for listening. But if people don't remember anything from this except for one thing, what would you like them to take away from your pursuits, from your journey? Everybody has spots of vulnerability and, and spots of incapability and and even if you have diagnoses like I do but aren't quite at peace with what they mean uh, or, or, or how to define them um, they're still valuable assets for you to mine you know um, I spoke earlier about having diagnoses and having difficulty in life and, and, and my experience um, in the inpatient ward has been a really uh, useful place to return to uh, for, for legal um, applications but then also kind of for self-discovery but you also don't I think need to have diagnoses I mean mental health is so scalar so I think if anyone was to take anything away it would be just to reflect back on what it is that you struggle with and and identify if you can um, how that empowers you because I can promise you it will uh, it, it might not feel that 90% of the time, but I, I'd be surprised if there wasn't some sort of growth or strength which has come out of that experience. And that is completely valid and true, and it's it, it's there for the taking. So, you know, take another look at it, uh, because you probably have skills and attributes which others don't, so just make use of them. Amazing. So with that, that brings us to the end of our episode for this week. Thank you very much to everyone listening. And uh, as always, thanks to Halima for for joining me as co-host. But thank you so much, Jordan, for coming um, in in person. It's nice to see people and talk talk about this. But 
thank you so much for for sharing what is a, a story that I think is, is something that can be quite difficult to tell. I know it's um, not not the easiest, and I think that yeah, I didn't realise that my story, even Helene's story, could help. So if if we've helped, I'm sure this story will help some people, and it's it's certainly yeah. helped me to to even talk about it. And I just hearing you talk about today and hearing things that make sense to me mm -hmm. uh, have has been really important. And I think it's important yeah, moving forward that we have these open conversations, um, particularly around mental health and how that is something that, uh, at the bar particularly, yeah. we know that we, we, the conversation happens quite often of how we need to, at the bar, um, have these conversations, make sure that people are okay. It's a very demanding job. It's a very demanding career and it's okay for people to take breaks. It's okay for people to do things a little bit differently and find this journey in our own way. So thank you so much for coming. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, this has been episode five of uh, Disability is Not a Bar and we will be joined next week by another guest. So please do tune in. But for now, thank you from me. Thank you from Halima. Bye. <laughs> uh, and goodbye, John. Thank you so much for coming on <laughs> uh, and joining us today. Uh, and until next time, thank you for listening. This has been Disability is Not a Bar. Thank you.